Lord Jesus, your understanding of Scripture astonished and humbled all around you. Send your Spirit to illumine this world, that our understanding and wisdom may be increased. Amen. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the Israelites and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall not render an unjust argument. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your great people, and you shall not stand idly by when the blood of your neighbor is at stake. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, for you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God.
Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Matthew 22, verses 34 to 46. Listen to what the Spirit is speaking today. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Pharisees, they gathered together, the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Lord of the teasing riddle, whose questions undo our certainty and set us on a different path, Give us a heart of passion, a searching mind, gentle strength of body, and unseen depths of soul, that we might love you wholly and our neighbor as ourself. Through Jesus Christ, the law of grace. Amen. Last Sunday, we hosted a Halloween party at our home, and we invited friends and family from many different seasons of our life. Some of the people there were those I've literally known my entire life. Others were college friends, friends from my megachurch days, friends from my first forays into the Presbyterian church, and others were neighbors that we've come to know and love in the last few years, and seeing them all together in one place reminded me how much my life has changed over all these different eras, my own little eras tour. (laughs) Over the course of time, my theology has changed, my understanding of who God is has changed, who Jesus is. I thought, how many different versions of Joel have the people at this party known? I'm not the same person that I was when I was a child or when I was a lonely teenager or a passionate evangelical out to save the world or even a young pastor whose faith was deconstructing right before his congregation's eyes. There have been so many different versions of Joel over that time and surely there are more versions to come. How do we include the parts of ourselves that we used to be with the person that we are becoming? How do we include and transcend. 
we are approaching the end of the Gospel of Matthew in which Jesus confronts the religious leaders at the temple. We've been following this story the last several weeks, and all this is taking place during Holy Week. And the confrontation becomes even more stark as Jesus invites us to change with him, to not remain calcified in who we are, but to keep growing, to become new versions of ourselves while still including who we have been. And that's not easy. Because when who you are and what you believe changes over time, not everybody celebrates with you. Not everybody throws a party. Sometimes they want to crucify you. Jesus has just silenced the Sadducees, and they were the power brokers in the temple. And today the Pharisees take their crack at Jesus. The Pharisees were Bible experts, and so they send a Bible expert to Jesus to ask him which commandment is the greatest. It's a perfectly reasonable question to ask him. It's a perfectly reasonable question to ask anyone, regardless of what your faith is, because all of us prioritize some values over others. No one holds all of their beliefs with equal priority. All of us have to make choices. The Pharisees, they discerned 613 different commandments in the Torah. And while they sought to honor them all, they understood that some must take precedence over others. And so Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Well, Deuteronomy 6.5 is part of the Shema, which is the prayer, the recitation of faith that Jews, faithful Jews say twice a day. So everyone who was listening to Jesus would have both known this verse and recited it twice daily. So when he says this, we can imagine all of them going, yeah, that's, that's the right answer. That's the answer I pray twice a day. And of course he continues and says, a second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the law and the prophets hang. And so loving God and loving our neighbors, these are not separate commandments, as though we first must do one and then get around to doing the other. They are different expressions of the same thing. And so Jesus says that what matters most of all is the rule of love, that everything that we do should be aimed at this all-important goal, love of the other. And in this regard, Jesus is not innovating at all. Jesus and all the Jews of his time understood that love of God and love of neighbor were central to their faith, as our Leviticus reading makes clear. See, Jesus wasn't just quoting the first part. He's actually quoting in both parts, right? The first part is a quote of Deuteronomy 6, and the second part, love your neighbors yourself, comes to us from Leviticus. Now, any of you who have read Leviticus or parts of it uh, might think of it as an uh, out-of-touch, harsh book. And perhaps there's ways in which it is. And yet, as our first reading makes clear, we see that holiness, holiness isn't about avoiding sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Now, holiness is about how we treat other people, that we are just to the poor and the wealthy alike, that we speak well of other people and not harbor hatred, that our vengeance is replaced with love. This is what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. And just like with the first commandment, everyone who was listening to Jesus would have known the second commandment, and they all would have nodded in 
agreement that yes, love of neighbor is central to what it means to be a faithful Jew. Jesus is not innovating here at all. Love of God, love of neighbor, these are not controversial ideas. We all know them, and I suspect that all of us here agree with them too. See, the knowing part isn't the hard part. We all know it. It's the doing that trips us up. This is where we get stuck. In principle, I think we all agree with the rule of love. Now, what we mean by love, I guess, is up for debate. But even that, we have some clarity. Leviticus helps us out here that love is not about our feelings as much as it is about our actions and our words. It's about how we treat other people with the same respect, dignity, and care that we wish to be treated. It's about how we structure our society, that we care for the vulnerable and not privilege the wealthy. It all sounds simple, but doing, the doing part, that's a lot harder than we think. When it comes to the rule of love, most of us look at other people and think, you know, they, they really ought to learn to do that. Why can't more people in this world know what it means to love their neighbor as their self? So you're more interested in changing other people than we are ourselves. We see the lack of love in the world and we think, you know, why can't people be more loving? But here's a better question. Why can't you? Why can't I? It's not easy, is it? And this is why I'm skeptical about the strength of our free will. <laughs> if you think that you have a totally free will, you're going to stand by that, I'm a free will person, then try not sinning the rest of your life. See how that works out for you. Get back with me. Try not harboring grudges against anyone ever for the rest of your life. Try always being generous to those in need. Confronting racism every time you see it. Disadvantaging yourself for those who are in need. None of this is easy, is it? See, we don't have a, we don't have a knowledge problem. We don't have a theology problem. We have a love problem. And we don't know how to solve it. So what do we do with a problem that we are powerless to solve? Now, anyone in recovery will tell you that we first must admit that you have a problem that you are powerless to solve. That's step one. And then step two is turning to a higher power. And that's what Jesus points us to as well. That, that whole bit about the Messiah being the son of David, yet David calls him Lord, this is Jesus' invitation for us to turn to a higher power. He's inviting us to consider that we don't need more knowledge or better theology or to just try harder. We need help because what we're doing isn't working. Anybody catch the news this week in case you're in doubt of that? What we're doing isn't working. Maybe it's time to seek a higher power. Jesus invites us to consider that he's more than a great teacher or some moral, virtuous leader. Maybe what we need 
is a Lord, someone who is stronger than we are, who can set us free. Now, I know that that word, Lord, can be tricky for some of us. We hear Lord and we immediately think of hierarchies with with kings on top and slaves on the bottom. It's not a word that we relate to or are comfortable with. And the religious leaders, they weren't comfortable with it either. In fact, they would have Jesus killed later that week because of this word. It's a tough word to stomach. But it's at least worth considering because I don't think what we're doing is working. Maybe there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Now, for early Christians, those first century Christians, naming Jesus as Lord was an act of defiance and liberation. The Roman Empire was a world of rigid hierarchy with rampant slavery and oppression. And so to name Jesus as Lord was a deliberate declaration of freedom from that domination. It was saying that the one who touched lepers and ate meals with tax collectors and sex workers, this is my Lord and not the Caesar. It was a radical declaration of freedom. For us in our time, there are so many powers that seem to be in control of our lives, from politicians to special interest groups, from global capitalism to climate change, from cancer and dementia, to your boss who you still don't understand how he got promoted to the position that he's in in the first place. What if none of these are Lord? What if the one who used his power not to get more power, but to pour out his life in love of God and love of neighbor, what if, what if he's Lord? And what if in the end, his way of life and his rule of love will win? and finally set us free. Wouldn't that be the best news you could ever imagine? See, Jesus wasn't leaving the faith that he grew up in. Love of God and love of neighbor was central to everything that he was taught as a good and faithful Jew. All of that gets included. But he was transcending what he'd been given. And he invites us to follow him. To change with him, or better yet, to allow him to change us. To invite him to be that higher power who loves us when we fail to love ourselves and others, which it turns out is pretty often. Jesus poured out his life in love of God and neighbor, even for those who are trying to kill him. And that kind of love changes us cracks us open, broadens our perspective. And when we change, there's always going to be people who would like us to go back to who we used to be. (laughs) But there's no going back. Growth only goes one direction. We live in a universe that was once incomprehensibly dense and small and has been growing ever more expansive since then. 
And just like the universe, we transcend who we once were, but still include that which is essential to our identity from the very beginning. See, there have been many different versions of you over time. And all of them are beloved. Though you are not who you once were, the heart of who you are has been loved by God every step of the way. And though you at times struggle to love God and to love your neighbor, God has always loved you. And that love changes you. So keep changing. Keep growing. Who you were was beloved. And who you are becoming, well, that's worth celebrating. Amen.